0: This is Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing and debating whatever comes up of interest in creative culture. I'm Eugene Kahn and my co-host is Sharice Poon. The format of this podcast is like catch up at the start followed by two main items of news, one chosen by myself and one chosen by Sharice.
1: We pick our topics from the Making Briefing, which is an email we send out twice a week filled with current news, interesting links, and more analysis of culture. On Making It Up, we talk through the things that we're most interested in and then try to come to some kind of conclusion on the state of culture, media, tech, food, whatever it is in our modern times. Also, if you support us, if you like this podcast, one of the most important things you can do is share your favorite episode with a friend. Thank you. What's
0: up, Charisse? Good morning. How are you?
1: Good. Um, Do we say Happy New Year? Because by the time this comes out, it will be 2019.
0: Yeah, I guess we can do that. What day is it today? 27th? Yeah. I guess. Yeah. Happy New Year, everybody.
1: So forced from the person who celebrates nothing.
0: Pretty much. How was your holiday?
1: Decent. Um, We spent time with friends and family. Yeah,
0: we actually chilled out.
1: Yeah, we did. I I took like a proper holiday for the first time in a long time.
0: I didn't think of it that way. I'm also not someone that's going to be like, oh yeah, I need a holiday so bad. I need a vacation.
1: I didn't mean to. I like didn't intentionally carve out a holiday, but it... We just didn't have anything really pressing. I mean, I don't know about you, but I didn't have anything really pressing. And then I was with family. And like I said, we were trying to not be on digital devices so much. So
0: I was the opposite.
1: I was good about
0: I had this game I had to beat.
1: Okay, but that's different. I mean, like we weren't working <laughs> separately. Yeah,
0: we weren't working. What we weren't game working. were you trying to beat? Football manager. Every year I download it. Is that what right, you do at out? Christmas?
1: Is that your tradition? Well,
0: no, it's just that this year, for, for whatever reason, I, I took a minute to download. Actually, no, the game got a little bit more difficult, I'd say.
1: Well, that's and good, for right? For people that
0: are unfamiliar with what this game is, it's stupid. It's <laughs> absolutely the worst game ever. It's like a simulation where you assume the role of a football club manager and you have to buy players, set up tactics and whatnot.
1: It's like fantasy sports games. Different.
0: It's simulation. So, for example, fantasy sports is
1: oh, driven right. by like
0: real world performances, right? And
1: you think that's less stupid?
0: Of course, it's less
1: stupid because it's related to the, it's linked to the real world. Yes. Hey, I'm actually doing pretty good in my fantasy basketball.
0: Really? Game. Well, I'm,
1: I'm doing decent. Tell me about your strategy. I have no strategy. My strategy well, then, is to check it. That's what? like the only strategy. Like to actually look at it and then make some choices. That's really my only strategy. So there's it's no to, like, actual thought process. I don't have it. The thought process requires a lot of math.
0: Yeah, I guess you're not is. really math. I'm not savvy. very
1: math savvy, but weirdly, okay, mostly I just feel like I've been lucky. So I was 12th when we started because I got the last round. So you didn't really start 12th. You just
0: got the last draft pick.
1: Well, I got the last draft pick, and then I was also 12th. Like as in after the first week. Oh, of okay, okay. okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Of teams vs teams, I was 12th, and yeah. now I'm sixth. Oh, that's not bad. Hey, right? That's a pretty good cover. I'm yeah. not, I mean, I'm not number one. So, yeah. Still not that's doing good. as good as it could be. What else? Should we do any year end things? I
0: don't particularly gravitate towards year end things. I don't know. I guess it's like the, the most traditional thing is what were the most popular things you did? Like, wh- what do you look back on and you're like proud of? But what is the outward value of that? I'm, this is me asking you. Like me telling someone what my best memories of 2018 are.
1: Well, the, it feels a the popular bit selfish, thing no? is to highlight your biggest achievements.
0: But why, why do my achievements matter to someone else? I understand your question. I
1: understand your question. Internally, it feels good. If you take two seconds to think about it to yourself. Got it. I guess it's celebratory. What value does it have to anyone else?
0: I think that's my thing. It's like, I, this is maybe to my detriment. Like I... Sometimes get, for lack of a better word, like gun shy. I'm like, why do I even need to put this out?
1: If I, I mean, I don't we totally feel... did not prepare for this segment. Otherwise, we could do our most recommended make it reads as in things that we published this yeah. year that are yeah. worth revisiting. But like I said, we didn't prep for this. We so. didn't prep
0: for this. Nor do... I don't know, man. I just... But
1: I, that's valuable, right? That's valuable in the sense that... I think it's
0: valuable for me to look back. Okay, no, this no, no, That, be a better that way. is
1: externally valuable because people might have just come on to make Correct. it in December of yes. 2018. And you're telling them, this is what we did this year that you might have missed. And yeah. also people who maybe were just not.
0: I mean, if I was to be a little bit more profound about it, I'd be like, what are the things that I learned in 2018? Okay. And then relate it back to something that we did. Okay. So then it reaches both the people that have been with us the last however long. Right. As well as people that are just coming on board. I don't know, man. I I think that even looking at this past the week where you're not working, but you're just, where you're not working in an office day to day, you're kind of introspectively looking at what happened last year and you're looking, you're looking for I don't know if answers are the right, is the right way of looking at it, but you're looking at, well, clarity on what you did, why you did it, and was it worth it? Well, I mean, it's always worth it if you choose to make it worth it Mm -hmm. in the sense that like you fuck up, there's a, there's, there's always a learning from that. Right. But I think that's what I was like trying to get at. Mm -hmm.
1: I mean, yes, as humans, as we pass through time, we're kind of constantly doing that because we make decisions based off of the results of our previous decisions. So you're constantly reviewing what's happened. I guess the value of looking back on a year is because we tend to be short-sighted. Yeah. Sort of like this is where we are now at the end of 2018. And maybe we have already forgotten what we had to overcome in the first half of the year or what we learned in the first half of the year. And even though I learned this term recently, chronological snobbery. Have you heard of that?
0: I'm hearing about it for the first time now, but it kind of makes sense.
1: It's pretty obvious. So it's this idea that we always think the present is the best. So for example, in the arc of human history, we tend to all think that right now is the smartest humans have ever been. And I think that also applies to ourselves as individuals. Yeah. Like we tend to think, me today is the best version of me. But that's not necessarily true.
0: And it's also okay to recognize that it's not the best today. Yeah. I think that's the bigger yeah, takeaway, Yeah, exactly.
1: Right? Like maybe I learned something in March and then actually since then I forgot that or I've digressed.
0: Yeah, that's a good point actually. I think there's, there's always going to be that sort of inward-outward pressure. Okay, the outward pressure obviously is like your experiences with things around you and how you think you should be perceived and or where you think you should be in your career, in your life. Mm-hmm. The inward pressure is I think a lot of ways like just are you happy, blah, blah, blah? Like are you how do you feel about life? How do you feel about all these other things? And I think that's the the ongoing sort of challenge that emerges from all of it, right? Well, what else is new?
1: I saw a lot of other publishers publish year-end wrap-ups.
0: Did you click into them?
1: No. So I was also wondering what the value would be of us.
0: Well, it's easy free content, right? It's like, I've already done the content.
1: It felt like that. It felt like... Thank you. You have to keep to the schedule. And so, but we don't want all of our staff to have to put together something super original over Christmas. So we're going to think of something that's like bonus-like. Just to honor the publication schedule.
0: I don't know. We didn't do that. It's been interesting because I've been rethinking more and more how our publishing schedule will look next year. And you know, like it's a not, it's not a big secret that we're going to relaunch the site sometime in the next few weeks, which was something we said a few months ago. But it's coming, I can assure you of that. But it's interesting because I'm, I'm thinking. Right now, it's like we're bombarded with so much information and we recognize it and we don't like it. But who's actually going against the grain and pushing back? I think that's one way that I'm starting to rethink the cadence of it all and how to create more value rather than create more opportunity to engage and not necessarily expecting the quality of engagement to be higher or better. So it'll be interesting. I think I. I think this last year, it certainly hasn't gone easier running a media company.
1: Nope. And I don't expect it to get easier.
0: So, and it's challenging because I think there's a lot of things that are going to be upcoming that are going to make things very difficult, like global recession. Like that's on, that's on your mind as well. So like if me being so bleak is a bunch of other things kind of coming together at once. And trying to figure out how to make sense of it because I don't want us to be in a position where we're just like slogging through it. Cause I think sometimes it does feel like we're slogging through it. I feel like that's the case sometimes. Like I'm waiting for that breakout moment. Right. And obviously I cherish all the people that have supported us, all the people listening, but I think that there's something there that I wish would like kind of unlock the next level.
1: But what does a breakout moment look like? I think you're looking for something that doesn't exist.
0: No, I think breakout moments are like very tangible. It's like financial stability. It's like defined product market fit where you know like, hey, you know what, what we're doing has the ability to sustain
1: us. I just don't think that the word moment is accurate.
0: And I don't think
1: breakout is accurate either. I agree when you describe it.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? What it looks I guess, like. But I guess it's semantics. Like We're just not like we going to have before. this... It's not going to be overnight. And it's not exactly. what I'm looking for. But There's I'm...
1: not going to be a switch that we suddenly hit. We're not yeah. looking for this button that we haven't been able to find.
0: I just want to have more wins that are stacked up versus sporadic. Does that make sense?
1: I mean, I feel that we have consistent wins. And maybe... Each win is not a big enough step up for your expectation to meet your expectation.
0: You know, you know what it is though? I and I, I think this is something that I need to talk about more sometimes, is that I go through the motions. I think well, I don't go through the motions. That's the wrong way of putting it. But like as I go through, you know, the day to day, both on the editorial and business side, my biggest interest as well as my concern is ensuring that we are creating better and better work. And what does that require, right? That requires growth. It requires audience, funding, whatever. That to me is actually the the concern. Is right. like I don't want to be doing the same level I'm doing in 12 months. I want yeah. to look back and be like, hey, everything got better and better and better. And yeah. maybe that I I think that your chronological snobbery is applicable, but from the context of a business, I don't think that that's yeah,
1: good. Yeah, no, no. In context of a business...
0: <laughs> not good. Not good. Not good. So I think that's the way I'm looking at it. I, 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 I'm I sorry if I'm fucking sounding like a big Debbie Downer right now. But. No,
1: I mean, I want to be better consistently over time as well as a company, also as a person. But I just... I mean, you probably have a bigger burden anyway. Your role is different from mine, and so I don't feel impatient.
0: I think there's a difference. The flip side, right? There's like, there's patience, knowing that it's something's guaranteed at the end. There are no guarantees. I get it, but there's with reasonable certainty. And there's also just like, man, you're you're like walking a a tightrope. I think that's kind of the thing that I'm looking at. There are no answers. Trust me. Yeah. But it's just like, hey, I think it's also good for people to know that. The shit that we think about is this, and this is why we think about it.
1: I mean, we're not Theranos, you know? We're not running a scam, and I know that. <laughs> like, Please,
0: you have to you have to give context as to what Theranos is for those that aren't familiar. Because I think that's a pretty obscure reference you just made. Even though it made a lot of headlines, I don't think everyone knows what Theranos is.
1: Okay.
0: We're talking about Elizabeth. Theranos
1: was founded in 2003 by... Elizabeth Holmes, and it was touted to be this huge breakthrough in blood testing. And it got seven hundred million USD from venture capitalists and private investors. And then, in early two thousand and eighteen, it came out that the entire thing was a hoax. This is really making a long story very short. yeah, there's plenty to be read about this
0: anyways, essentially
1: good, a good product reference. that didn't work. Yeah.
0: I'm surprised you pulled that one out.
1: I don't know why I was thinking of that. But it was like, well, because 2003 to 2018 thats 15 years, right? I have confidence. How old are we now? Three years? Three years. Yeah. I know that, God willing, we make it another 12 years. In 12 years, it's not going to come out that making was a scam. Yeah, okay. Like, I have confidence at least in that.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough.
1: All right. This has been... a. Uh, This is very characteristically us of a year-end review. We're making it up.
0: You got to do something different. I don't know. All right.
1: Oh, this is new. This is my Christmas present from my mother. It's a black thermos.
0: You an old ass Asian. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Only, only you, only an uh, an older Asian person would get excited about a thermos.
1: You asked me what was new. It's, it's the Elephant brand.
0: That means nothing to me. No, you're right. Is that, is that the most reputable thermos company out of China?
1: Is it? Maybe. I don't know. You
0: referenced an Elephant. It's Japan. Okay, so it's, Japanese. it's the most reputable.
1: Anyway, I think your comment about only an old Asian would be excited about that was accurate. So let's keep going. Yeah.
0: All right. So my topic today is the future book is here, but it's not what we expected. This article by Craig Maud for Wired magazine takes a deep look into the evolution of the future book and how it has largely fallen short under traditional, I guess, gauges. You could probably call it that. I had metrics written down here. I don't think metrics is the right word.
1: Gauges expectations?
0: Probably, expectations is probably a better word. Yeah. Predictions? Sure. So one of, one of the interesting insights into this was just how we've looked at books over the years and how at every major technological juncture, we are expecting it to be disrupted, changed, and look significantly different than what it is now. Interesting quote from Craig, "For my Kindle Oasis, one of the most felt, elegant, and expensive digital book containers you can buy in 2018 is about as interactive as a potato. Instead, I left a note for myself, write something about how this isn't the digital book we thought we'd have. So this is in reference to like how he's looking at creating this, this piece. And he also goes on to say, Physical books today look like physical books of last century, and digital books of today look, feel, and function almost identically to digital books of 10 years ago when the Kindle launched. The biggest change is that many of Amazon's competitors have gone belly up or shrunken to irrelevancy. The digital reading and digital book startup ecosystem that briefly emerged in the early 2010s has shriveled to a nubbin. So Maud also goes on to argue that we kept looking for changes to books, but their strongest assets are singular, sustained, distraction-free, blissfully immutable voice. Another thing that he goes on to talk about is that the big change is that getting a book into your hands is actually the most fundamental and interesting thing. A way of looking at it is that the future books that we currently have are actually here. It's just that Everything behind the scenes to get that into your hands has changed relative to the past.
1: Yeah. The end product of a book is the has same. not changed Relatively because the same. it's pretty much good as is. As in words in a sequence, that's yeah. not going to change. But it's all of the structures around it.
0: Exactly. Books now are much cheaper to produce and print with tons of options. So example, if you and I want to go print a book today, right now, after this podcast, I'm sure we could pull something up. We could pick the paper, the size, yeah. everything. These are we could all do things. something
1: within 24 hours, assuming we have like the text submit, ready.
0: Submit an order yeah. for a book to be printed. Yeah, and I've, I've in, looked into it too.
1: You could, you have all the processes available.
0: And on top of that, retail channels now put you side by side with some of the world's best authors. On top of that, half of author earnings are now courtesy of indie published books, where royalties are much more generous. And there's 70% versus 25% in traditional mediums. So that'd be, I think, if you went through like, you know, a traditional publisher mm. that had arguably more distribution and scale, more marketing dollars, et cetera. This whole article actually goes on to break down a lot of the current technological tools that in many ways aren't necessarily made primarily for the publication of books, but they just happen to play nicely with the world of publishing. And that includes crowdfunding as a way to fund projects and newsletters. So this this yeah. is really important because newsletters are obviously a way for authors to connect directly with their users and their fans.
1: There's a lot in this about email.
0: And also Craig goes on to say that what's important is that in a newsletter context, you own that relationship versus being on social media where you're always subjected to algorithmic changes. Oh, especially as book authors, like you don't really have video content, right? Yeah. So, and if that's what an algorithms, you know, highlighting or pushing, then you kind of get left out. So, overall, I like I think one thing that's incredibly important around this is that there's two things I took away. It's like, yes, I think that we have to recognize that there's a lot of things that actually make publishing a book a lot easier today, and he's kind of gone and listed them, and he's done it obviously in a way Craig does really well is just like outlining and explaining how each particular piece of the puzzle fits. But I think what's most interesting is that, and this, <laughs> this is interesting because it also ties into your thing about chronological snobbery in a way, in the sense that we believe that everything needs to be better and better and you need to like improve upon things. Yeah. When I think that one line that Craig mentioned, and I'll repeat it, books are a singular, sustained, distraction free, blissfully immutable voice. Which means that despite all changes that we want to apply to it, it actually is best served as is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, like books, you know, despite the fact that, you know, a hardcover with a bunch of pages inside are not technologically advanced, it actually, by design, achieves exactly what it's set out to do. How do we kind of recognize that sometimes technology doesn't need to be applied to everything? For the sake of improving upon it. Because Mm. the best option might actually be in front of us.
1: I think it's a misunderstanding of where the problem is. In the past. Such as in the early 2000s. When people were thinking about how everything could now be different. Because of the quickness of the growth in technology. There's a misunderstanding. The book itself is not the problem. It's the other things surrounding the book. Yeah. Which... Craig highlighted a lot of ways that it has been solved for, such as crowdfunding. So the problem was not that the format of a book is uninteresting. The problem in the past is that not everyone could publish. Mm-hmm. So how could you solve for that?
0: Mm-hmm. I, I think books too, as a type of medium, generally speaking, have a sufficiently high barrier entry. I mean, I'm sure there's a ton of books out there that under a traditional scheme wouldn't get published because they're not good enough. But then again, books just require a lot more focus, rigor, intent, right? So I think that it does allow people that are willing to kind of cross that threshold to have an opportunity versus like a blog post is so easy to put up. Anyone can start a a WordPress today and do something. But Craig also
1: makes an interesting point about emails and he talks about shatechery, which I know you read. Yep. And he said, So the Stratechery newsletter, we might not think of it as a traditional book, but let's say Stratechery put together all of the best posts from 2018. He could come out with the year in tech 2018. And that would be a book. I mean, it would require editing and fact checking, but writing consecutively and then publishing consecutively essentially turns into a book.
0: One thing I'm curious for you, from your perspective, if you were to redefine the future of the book, what would it look like?
1: Oh, one thing I was, actually, I had this conversation totally independent of this episode of Making It Up a couple of weeks ago where I was saying it should be easier to lend each other digital books. I understand why you want people to pay for books. I'm not trying to not pay for books, But at the same time, you can lend someone a physical book that I bought. So I should be able to do the same thing with my digital book in a legal way. Yeah. Where people aren't just ripping digital copies.
0: I agree. That part is an economic problem. You probably need to find a way to solve.
1: Yeah. Well, it's partially a tech problem.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's um, DRM, right? Digital rights management.
1: I think
0: I got the right... Acronym there. I don't know, but basically, it's just like copyright, right? Yeah, I mean, it, there's nothing really stopping you from going and looking for a, a pirated book right now, besides ethics and morals. But yeah, there is
1: nothing could, stopping yeah. you. I don't pirate books, mostly because in terms of my priority for economics, I'm willing to support support yeah. books. But I would like to lend people my digital books,
0: or I feel like it needs to be sufficiently cheaper. Because sometimes the isn't the Kindle price and the
1: essentially the same, the same, right? It's almost the same,
0: which is kind of messed up. Like I think that from an economic standpoint.
1: Oh, actually, this is an interesting anecdote. Is I was trying to do the right thing and support my local independent bookstore in London and buy a physical book that I'd been meaning to read, but then it was so inconvenient for me. Basically, I'm just sounding lazy now. That I just wound up buying the ebook. Mm. I still feel kind of bad about it. I don't know how to solve that problem.
0: So the way I was looking at this problem was framing it up as why do we read books in the first place, mm. and then how do you improve upon that experience through mm. technology? So you know, in the, in the course of my research, it's not even it's not even fair to call it research. In my 30 minutes prior to this episode, I was thinking about how. We can improve upon the reading experience because ultimately, why do you read? You read for the knowledge, the insight, uh, in part, the entertainment, but you really want to garner the knowledge and the insight, right? Yes. And how do you find a way to utilize technology to absorb that better, mm. more efficiently in a more optimal way? So I don't know how technology can do that. I'm making this up, but imagine if like you could utilize technology to just create like this. Tunnel where all you saw was text, and it was done in a way that was optimized. You know, like a mm. like a black shield over your head, and then all you see is the text,
1: and it's done in a way
0: where it's like Star Wars style, and it comes at you, and it's very comfortable. That's
1: and totally not what I was thinking about. Well, this you're ch- thinking about the actual reading experience
0: to to help improve and optimize the absorption retention. Yes.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Maybe getting quizzed on what you read. Maybe.
0: Because that's don't know. what school is like. Yeah. Like I think that that's what I was thinking about. Like, that's why we read, right? Or well, the
1: option of being quizzed. No, obviously, like nobody is being forced course, to take a test. Of course. But
0: but I guess what I'm trying to say is like you remember uh, a few days ago we we posted that thing on Slack where it was a new font that was created by university. Uh, yeah. To help sans you with, forgetica. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> anyway, something along those lines. So with things like that it helps improve upon that. And I think that's what technology could potentially help.
1: Hmm. right?
0: Because then, you know, that's the one thing I think some most people experience, like, oh, I'm a slow reader.
1: Yeah. Well, when you ask that question of how we can improve the garnering of insight and knowledge from books, what I was thinking about is book recommendations or the insertion of books into regular life. Because I find myself frequently in conversations about different subjects and then thinking it would be really helpful if I could read a book on this subject. But now I have to go and find that book.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot of ways to improve upon books. Maybe this all falls within the back end support side. I don't know.
1: I mean, it's on that same theme of we're not talking about how can we improve that, whatever, 150, 300 pages of words. It's about the delivery of it or how we acquire it or how we share it with each other. Those things can change.
0: Yeah. If books were more social, how do you think that would change the experience?
1: When you're actually reading, because Craig mentions that in his article, the quote that you read is related to that, where he was reading a book and then wanted to comment on yeah. a line in the book in a way so that other people could read that comment.
0: Yes. No, but what I mean is like, if if those things were actually built in, how do you think that would change reading? So right now, you remember, I... Well, that's just,
1: related to my topic. Yeah. On this episode after should we, you we Should we wait yours. then? Yeah. Yeah, we'll wait. Well... I mean, I don't know if I would engage so much in the social aspect while you're reading, because like you said, you know, books are meant to be singular and sustained and distraction free. So the social part, the social integration, I feel like doesn't come as you're actually reading the words itself. Mm -hmm. Though I was actually thinking about, we talk about this, we talk about the importance of physical events. Mm -hmm. And something that, this doesn't work in every geographical location, but something that could be improved upon is access to experts that are in books or the authors that wrote the books or the publisher, Yeah. the, the people behind the scenes.
0: Should we move on to yours? Because I think there's some things from this one we could talk about. Oh, in definitely. Your topic. When we we're trying to think about what to talk about today, we somehow landed on three actual articles that all revolved around the current book industry.
1: Yeah, let's just go right into my one because I think what we've talked about goes really naturally with it. So my subject is Instagram is helping save the indie bookstore. And it's an article by Nisha Chital on Vox for the goods. What she talks about is this standard narrative of the internet killing the brick and mortar bookstore isn't exactly true. In some ways, it is true that Amazon sales resulted in Barnes and Noble and Borders, two big bookstore chains in the States, shutting down and, you know, shrinking. But apparently, if you look at the stats, independent bookstores have grown since 2009 and also the sales of physical books have increased since 2013. So for a long time, people were saying, you know, print is dying, print is dead. But if you actually look at the numbers, that's not true. It's come back around. It's like revitalized itself. So this author says one of the reasons for that is Instagram or social media in general, she gives several reasons. One is social media leads to the community of book lovers around the world gathering together, which can you can say is true for every hobby, right? Like the internet allowed people to find the other people who enjoy that hobby. Also, this one's really interesting. I don't know if you also found it similarly interesting, is that people want to appear well-read as part of their social media personality. So then they seek out books and bookstores, which I think is a good thing overall. It's like that societal peer pressure, but in a good way. But if you're
0: not reading it, then what does it mean though?
1: I think you have to read it.
0: I'm curious how many people finish these books they start.
1: Okay, well, I've I never
0: that- I've never shared... Mm, actually, I, there's no way to know, but it's like, there's different things you could share within a book. It's like the inside covers of, there's different things you can share from a book, right? You can share actual passages or you share the cover.
1: Right. Or you can share yourself just on the beach holding a book. There is no way to prove that people are reading their books, but I feel like this kind of peer pressure is not bad. Whereas Instagram in some some ways is bad, right? At some point
0: you'll get found out if you didn't read the book.
1: Yeah, like, we give social media a lot of bad rap for causing people to buy more sneakers or to eat at expensive restaurants so that you can floss online. But the act of Flossed, showing I off had that word
0: in a while. Sorry, not trying to <laughs> date you.
1: Thanks. Not man. that I have a better they have word. You have to re-say all of it.
0: Not that I have a better word to say.
1: Show off then. That's an even more old school word but anyway. The point is I think the encouraging of reading through social media is not negative. Also, this author highlights that, you know, technology has gotten a bad rap over the years. So people feel like I should reduce my screen time and pick up some physical activities. Yep. Physical activities, including reading. It goes on to talk about the importance of bookstores, especially independent bookstores, it like places that aren't chains. So only one exists in the neighborhood. And she says, you know, these places through their marketing, through their visual merchandising, can lure people into them and then turn people who might just be there for a photo opportunity into actual readers.
0: Question. This made me think when you mentioned it, do you think that the relationship between corporates and independents, part of the strength lies in the staff that work at an independent? Yeah. And I wonder if that is sort of the X factor. Because if you're working at an independent bookstore, you care more about books. You know, you you know, the target demo better because you are the target demo. Does that make sense? Like I'm, I'm curious if this is like the one thing that people maybe have lost sight of amidst all the challenges being brought forth. So it's like, if you're an independent, the better customer experience and the human connection with passionate people are your selling point.
1: I can't find the exact article, so I'm a little bit hesitant, but I'm fairly certain. I recently read the news about Waterstones, which is a big bookstore chain in the UK. They used to do this thing where it was a top-down decision what books were stocked in the local bookstores. So they would decide wherever HQ is, what each store was going to have. But then they would find that at the end of each quarter, local bookstores were sending a lot of books back to HQ that weren't sold. So they changed their whole policy and said, okay, actually local staff can make the decisions in terms of what they stock, mm-hmm. which is what you're saying. Yeah.
0: So even well, though yeah, Waterstones yeah, yeah. is a
1: chain, they have modified their system. I, this is more work, right? It's more work to allow the local bookstores to pick their own stock. But or maybe the results, it's easy. But the result is that you send back fewer books.
0: But um, what I'm saying is that maybe it's easier.
1: Well, it's selling more books, probably.
0: But what what I'm trying to say, if you have a pulse on what's going on, sometimes it's so natural and instinctual that it's actually not like a ton of market research to go and figure out what my locals want to read.
1: Right. Well, obviously the staff knows best, but I said, I mean, I I don't have the numbers, but it is adding an extra layer, right? Instead of HQ saying, okay, everyone do this. Yeah. 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 You're allowing individual decision.
0: So maybe that has to be the kind of ace up an independent retailer's sleeve. I think you've, this is sort of moving away from the topic of bookstores, but everyone's lamenting the death of retail. And maybe retail needs to really be about the staff and their connection with the community.
1: Yeah. Well, for books, it works particularly well because people come in asking for recommendations. mm Mm-hmm. And so you depend on your local bookseller to have expertise.
0: I think you've heard it quite often. Like, I I don't think people go into a bookstore or any sort of establishment, like an indie establishment that's relatively credible with some sort of pedigree and think, yo, that guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But you do hear the flip side when you go into an Amazon review section and like, I don't believe this person. Right.
1: Right. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Why is that?
0: Because you don't know that person. You're not in a face-to-face. Like it's Yeah, it just,
1: but also if I go into a random bookstore, I also don't know that person.
0: You don't know that person, but you know that that person's background is that they're a professional. They are a professional. Right. Versus someone rating it is like, I bought this. I'm not a professional book reviewer, or nor am I a professional.
1: So let's I immediately say like, give them more credibility. I think
0: so. But I think it also, maybe there's a subtle... Shift there because of being in an indie bookstore. Like, I, I, I personally would think you want to be there out of your own interest. But if I'm at Domino's or I'm at Pizza Hut, I don't think that person is there because they like to make pizza.
1: Mm. Yeah.
0: So maybe it's just like a very specific type of retail.
1: I think that's fair. I, I yeah, I don't know if this would necessarily work for fashion.
0: I think fashion works. In certain areas, but not all areas. Like I wouldn't expect the H&M person to know what's up. No. No disrespect to them, but it's more like... Well, I'm not going to yeah. go
1: into an H&M and ask for recommendations. Yeah. That is not a thing people usually do. How do you think what I've been talking about with regards to indie bookstores and physical books connects to Craig Maud's article about the future of books?
0: What's clear is that the social element is what's driving the resurgence of books. But we've also recognized that most book experiences are not very social friendly because it's an external layer that's layered on. So uh, we we both... You mean
1: social friendly in terms of discussion.
0: Discussion, sharing, like everything is sort of on top of it. Although, and what I mean on top is that if I want to share a passage from something I read, I usually need to take a photo of it with my phone yeah. Or somehow I need to save it and then I need to go to that saved part on a desktop or whatever and I need to pull that quote and then do something with it.
1: You have experimented with emailing me quotes.
0: That was just to see.
1: But it doesn't work great, I have to say.
0: Yeah, I feel like there's something also about the way you envision a passage on a book with the containers of a page. Yeah. Do you think so? I think Versus so. like just in an email.
1: I'm the type of person where if I don't have the context of a quote, I feel hesitant. Yes. If I don't have the before and after, I'm not sure exactly how to read something. And if there is no additional text from the person recommending it, Mm -hmm. I don't know how they want me to read it. Like when I sent you that thing, it was more
0: of an experiment to utilize this built-in function in my table to email you a quote. Yeah. So if I was to redesign that experience, well... First and foremost, it's like.
1: Do you want to talk about what you read with other people?
0: Yeah, I like think just so. Naturally, yeah, just well, naturally,
1: you would want to talk about like if we don't think about you just don't think about Instagram or t- technology yes. when you read a book.
0: Yes, because if you think it brings value to the people around you, why wouldn't you want to share it? And on top of that, I think that this also. Okay, I know you removed Instagram from this discussion.
1: Oh, I just want to know if we have that natural inclination as readers.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think, well, it depends like from a personality perspective. I mean, I like to share things that I've come across with you, right? Mm -hmm. Right, And that's not in the context of social media.
1: I feel like I tend to recommend entire books. So that's why I wind up giving people books a lot. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like you should have this entire reading experience. makes
0: us different. But I guess to that point that the ability to simplify the sharing process will further compound what we've seen already. If Bookstagram exists through this sort of bootleg, Jimmy rigged sort of like mechanism, imagine right, if a it was. On Instagram. Imagine if it was more defined, because it does. I 100% agree. I'm I'm more in line with people sharing what they're reading, and backing up their decisions. Because like, if I ask you, "Hey, why is that a good book to read?" you generally have an answer.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I definitely agree. But to that point, if I was to redefine that experience, I think it's like. I'm making this up, but like as I do a lot of things, imagine you had an app and you could take a photo of the passage you wanted to share. And they've seen, they've done this with like Google Translate, right? You take a photo and you use your finger to highlight where you want to share. Right. And that would just package it nicely into like a JPEG you could share on social media.
1: Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah. It'd also be nice if it could pull the book title and author. Yeah. And a link to where to buy it. Like right now. At your indie bookstore.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of ways you can kind of bring, bring together all these different things, right? The one thing that I struggle a lot with is just cataloging things of interest across multiple mediums. So I might read something on a website, on my insta paper, on a book. I might hear something, but there isn't a very clean and efficient way of consolidating all these interesting tidbits.
1: Yeah, you just have to make your own.
0: I'm usually pretty good at building those things, but lately it seems as though I just need to keep them all separate into different mediums.
1: Yeah, because I know that same agony. I read ebooks and I'll find myself reading on my Kindle or my iPhone or even sometimes on my computer. But that means that my highlights are in three different places mm-hmm. and sometimes they don't sync. So this causes some kind of pain. Which is obviously not as easy as a physical book when you have the actual physical book and you've been highlighting the one thing or sticking post-its in it. Oh, actually, I did have one more question. Where do you discover the books that you read? For
0: book discovery, I generally rely on word of mouth from trusted people. Like people that I, I believe to be of a certain... Well, you know what? This is actually... Correct me if I'm wrong on this right now. Like amongst all your friends, do you feel there's like a, a very definitive two bucket approach where bucket one is the person that reads books and bucket (laughs) two is they don't read books. Yeah. And generally speaking, if you're a regular book reader, you already have put yourself in a certain sort of echelon. Yes. And you're an echelon of trust. Yes. By virtue of reading books, I think that automatically puts yeah, you... Yeah,
1: that's so interesting. So by
0: virtue of that, like if you're a regular book reader, I will almost 100% trust you.
1: Yeah, that is so really it, interesting. Weirdly, I don't have you're either, friends who read and I don't trust the exactly. recommendation. Whereas I have lots no of such friends thing as who watch movies reader. who I don't trust Got their it. recommendations.
0: It's just the medium itself, Right.
1: Yeah. So I by virtue by
0: virtue of that, it's like I'm sure you could ask someone. Does Joan, your friend? Yeah. Does she read a lot of books? I mean, I'm sure she does because she's a book.
1: She has to read for work and for le- and, and yeah. she also
0: reads for leisure. And shout out! What did she just win?
1: Oh well, not really win, but she made it onto New York Times best book covers of 2018. And if 2018. you ever heard of
0: Joan? This is
1: Joan Wong, book cover designer, great friend, friend of, of mine, friend of Macon, Um Yeah, so you're right. Anything she recommends—it's either you're
0: you're an intelligent book reader or you're
1: not a dumb reader,
0: non-book reader. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) Coming down
1: really hard there. But what I'm just trying to say is, like, like if you
0: read books regularly, because it's not necessarily a pleasurable thing to do.
1: I mean, I find pleasure, but yeah, lots of people don't.
0: Exactly right. So automatically, you've created this very definitive.
1: But the kind of reason I also asked you is because I get my book discovery from all kinds of places. So I don't have one go-to person or list. I just sort of accumulate book recommendations from Twitter and Instagram and articles I read and everywhere. So yeah. when people ask me, I have a hard time saying, this is where I found it.
0: I'm probably more topically driven, to be honest.
1: So you will actually Google a subject? Yeah. Yeah. And I figured
0: that's the thing is that maybe mm, I'm trying to think because I made that argument that you would trust an independent bookstore employee before you trust an Amazon review. But to that same point, I think that for certain books, because they are of a certain type, then immediately you know if someone's going to read this book on um
1: well, if you're looking for a nonfiction book on advertising, then I'll just find the one with the most reviews. thank you.
0: Like That's the best way for me to try to explain what I was trying to say. You're welcome. Yeah. I was trying to figure out how to best communicate that. But that's the thing is that I think publications generally are quite good at recommending books as well. Like if you have a publication you trust, I think it's worthwhile trusting their taste.
1: Yeah, good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in learning more about Macon, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at macon.com.
0: You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend.
1: Also, if you want to get in touch with either of us, you can email myself at charis, C-H-A-R-I-S, at macon.com. Or Eugene at Eugene, E U G E N E, at Macon.com. We love hearing from you.
0: I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up.